0: Searching for Canada's best startups. The Pitch Please Podcast. Hosted by Mike Thibodeau. Give us your best pitch. Pitch Please. Three, two, one connecting with Canada's startups to learn about their business and the amazing people behind them. Follow along and hear some of the most interesting ideas in startups from across Canada.
1: What's up, everybody? It's Mike. We're back here on the Pitch, Please podcast. And today I'm talking to Nelson from Haven, a campus safety app, or more broadly, I think just an app for general safety. I'm looking forward to learning a bunch more about not just Haven, but about Nelson He's been through some cool experiences himself, so maybe we kick it off that way. Nelson, I'll toss the mic over to you. Let's learn a little bit about
0: you. Sure, so hi everyone. My name is Nelson, I'm the founder and CEO of Haven, which is a safety app that's used by many universities, campus organizations, governmental agencies, all across Canada. What we do is we essentially help people get safety and help whenever they need, whether that's when they are in a critical incident, or if they're just trying to find the best way to get home, we do all that through our mobile app to ensure that users, as well as organizations that care about their users, are able to get the help whenever they need. I love it.
1: Well, you know, you are a founder now. Have you always been a founder? Did you always know you were going to be a founder? Where, Where and how did this kind of come to be?
0: I never thought I would have been a founder uh, when, when I started Haven. So I started Haven after a friend shared her sexual assault story with me um, at the University of Toronto. And she was walking home one night from the library in first year when she was being followed and uh, unfortunately assaulted. And after having the conversation with her, I realized that my skills as an engineer, as someone who built software, would be super valuable in creating a tool that allowed people who... We're going through similar situations to instantly reach out to a friend, a family member, to a security organization, or to just contact 911 in a much more efficient manner. And so that's where Haven started and how I started becoming a founder. And so I never imagined he even becoming much more than just a tool that helped certain individuals, but it, it really grew a leg of its own and has uh, transcended to what I initially thought of Uh, Making it to be to something where right now we're helping universities uh, keep their students safe. We're helping with sexual assault agencies across the country when it comes to their victims and ensuring that they don't fall into that cycle of abuse and violence again. It's just been such an incredible journey thus far.
1: Interesting. So there's this like obviously very impactful uh, story of how this started, but before that, you you so you were in in software engineering. Is that what you were going to school for, or that's like the path you were on?
0: Yeah, so I am studying computer engineering at the University of Toronto, and just as an engineer, always trying to find problems to solve. I've always been super involved with my community and trying to find ways to give back. And so when the opportunity to use my skills on both of these aspects and fronts to to build something to truly make a difference, I jumped at the, the first opportunity I could to do it. Well, and you're like the
1: unicorn, right? Because I think like probably 95% of founders that I talk to, maybe just by some chance, they're not technical at all. And they're all like, I need to figure Wait. someone out to be my CTO, my technical co-founder. I have an idea and I need to bring it to life where you're like, I can build shit. And someone came to me and I was like, I I I can actually solve that problem and build something for that instead of like starting with the idea. You you saw the opportunity and you took it. So you're like you are the technical co-founder, or you're the yeah.
0: technical founder. Are you a sole founder of the of the business? So we initially had a co-founder, Ethan, but since then just the the stress of The entire journey has been a little much, but it's been great when we started because we were both technical. And so from day one, we were just coding and and, and just diving right in because within the span of a few uh, months, we were able to go from idea to hundreds of customer interviews to a fully fleshed out product and something that we launched by the start of the next school year when we uh, initially launched David. Wow, okay.
1: I want to talk about some things that maybe I don't get the opportunity to to go down with with some other founders. So, uh, sure. this whole like te- like you're a technical founder. So, and as you started building this out, talk to me about the the process that you went through. So, like the business side of it is probably more foreign to you. So, you knew how to to build, so you were talking to some people, there's these interviews. Talk to me about that process.
0: Yeah, I as someone from a technical background, I, I knew how to really build the thing and and get it going from there. But what I understood from the beginning for Haven was we're targeting a market of 18, 19, 20-year-olds, primarily in university or college who this might be their first time away from home. And so the actual user experience had to be paramount when when we were building. And so when I was doing these interviews, I really wanted to understand what did people like about potential existing solutions and what are some things that they wish they had because I knew what to do to get whichever idea we needed to build out into the world but the actual ideas that made sense and would make a difference in people's lives that was what I really focused on and so for me when it came to those customer interviews I I just essentially put out a survey link on my social media feeds and over 200 people responded in terms of how they felt about safety, where they felt unsafe, what features they wish they had. And from there, just conducting Zoom calls with each of them since we started this in 2021. And so it, we had to do it completely online. People were still really locked down and understanding their needs so that when we returned from a COVID world, we aren't returning with those dangers that preceded. I um,
1: Interesting. So um, uh, maybe what would be cool to understand is even just like from a technical co-founder's perspective, what are the types of questions or how are you, because you were trying to understand the problem, but then in the back, you yeah. knew you could kind of build whatever. So you yeah. were, what were the questions that were most important to figuring out what to build? Because a lot of people start the other way, right? They're like, this is the thing I want built, but it was yeah cool is you, you started with questions. I think it'd be good for people to know what those questions are because it might help them build better product um, at the end of the day.
0: Yeah, for sure. The first question that I always ask is what value are you truly providing? Right. For for a, t- a lot of different products, you're either growing other people's revenues, you're decreasing their expenses, you're making their lives more convenient. When it came to haven and safety, I had to really rethink that because you're not, it's hard to quantify these types of measures in a way where you're providing value. And so from day one, I was trying to ask, what would what would it take for you to use an app that claims to keep you safe every day? What are some features that you would use on a daily basis that you feel would elevate your peace of mind? And if anything bad happens, you're able to use instantly. And so... That really centered how we thought about Havens from the get-go. I always wanted there to be an emergency response aspect to it, where if you're ever in danger, you're able to reach out, get help, send your location, show your status, and receive whatever resources you need as quickly as possible. But the real hurdle that I saw when sort of asking these questions about value was how do you get someone to actually use it every day so that during an emergency they actually think of the app. They actually think of opening up their phone, clicking on an app, clicking on a button to get help rather than just being paralyzed by the situation. And so I think the questions that you ask when it comes to value, that's the number one most important thing, because, you know, if you're not delivering value, you're, there's no point <laughs> in what you're building or what you're trying to solve. And so for me, that was the first thing I asked. The second was sort of, existing user patterns. And and so we saw a really big dichotomy between interviews that we had with male users and female users, as well as users from across the world, where in some cities it is just slightly more unsafe than in other users. For example, when we interviewed people in Tokyo, it was a very different um, experience that we heard from them compared to uh, users that we had when we talked to people in the States or in various parts of Tinder or uh, other parts of the world. And so sort of understanding where people are coming from, I think is the second big thing that you really need to understand and ask about in detail.
1: How did you go about getting um, much of this input? Because I think that, and maybe there's a little bit of the scenario in which you're, you're solving, but I think part, part of it is people, you used a good word, but for a different purpose, people kind of get like paralyzed Uh, Or like the analysis paralysis where they're like, I wish I could get user feedback, but like, I don't know, I'm trying to build a business, I'm going to go to that end user to that company and be like, well, I don't have it yet. But what would you do? Like, what was your was it? Is it all just like, you know, fictional block and people should just reach out? Or are there some ways in which you got your survey out there? You had social, but it sounds like you got people from all over the world from a pretty diverse set. What 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 did you do and, and how could others maybe replicate some of that?
0: Yeah, so I think the first thing there, there's two poles of the extreme, uh, the extremities here that you want to avoid. The first is having a clear mindset as to what you're going to build. And the second one is having no idea what you're going to build. And so I think you need to go into this process when asking users with a vision of the world that you want to see while asking them, how do you think we could best get there? And so you don't want them to feel directionless because if that's the case, then they don't know what to write down or what to even select. If you even have a survey or a feedback form, there's going to be as clueless as you might be in that situation. And then when it comes to the region, um, trying to access as many points of data as you can, for us, we are extremely lucky being in university at such an international school at the University of Toronto to be able to get access to not just our friends who are from all across the world, but their friends as well. And so that really helped in sort of expanding that network. And for myself, you know, if I were in university or in such a university where 40, 50% of the students in my cohort were from outside of Canada and North America, I wouldn't have the ability to access their experiences in various parts of the world. And so I think that really helps. And so you're able to tap into a network or a market where you're able to actually connect with users all across the world for certain segments, you know, if you're on a subreddit, a lot of times you have people all across the world being able to provide input, provide feedback. We got quite a few responses from Reddit forums when we post on, for example, like r slash U and a few others as well. And so you just have to really see what makes the most sense for the idea that you're trying to solve. If it's a very localized issue, then it just makes sense to, to go all across the world. And so you wanna focus in on those efforts there. But if you are trying to reach as broad of a market as possible, you know, find someone who has that network to be able to amplify your voice. And so for example, um, one of Ethan's friends, she had, I believe around 30 or 40,000 Instagram followers. And so she was willing to make um, the effort of just putting our survey links on her story as well. And so that really helped. And so there are just so many different things that you have to do. But the key of it is be creative in the way to reach out, because as a founder in, on day one, you don't have that many resources inherently, If you're especially if you're a first-time founder like we were. So you just have to be creative in the ways that you get the information that you get so that you have the upper hand. Um, compared to other companies out there who have billions of dollars and could probably build what you're building as quickly and as um, pretty much as awesome as you are. Um, but they might not have as much of that information as you do.
1: Interesting. But I think even um, there's some things that you were just sharing there, which is like, just ask. Like You probably don't understand the power that you have within just your own network if you actually just come to it with humility and ask. And you don't know where that might go because it sounds like even in your scenario, you asked and asked and there was a couple people that leaned in and it really expanded the the horizons. And then even even forums and networks and um, you, you talked about networks, but forums is a thing that I think you talked about, which is like, go on Reddit, go on a blog. There's people probably having discussions and if they are, try to understand if they're willing to participate and give feedback in the thing you're working on. And if you're sharing your opinion online... Chances are you'll, you'll share it pretty (laughs) openly with someone who's trying to solve the problem. Um, So I think that's really, really good sound, um, sound advice. Now talk to us a little bit about this space, because I think you've referred to it a couple times and naively I'm going to say, well, like Haven, I'm confused or trying to understand where it fits in versus just calling nine one one. And I'm sure your feedback led you to so many things that maybe I'm not thinking about many others aren't thinking about just talk to us about the spectrum of what happens, like who people <laughs> call what exists out there. I remember like when I went to McMaster, they've got the, um, the, the like emergency the blue like lights the pole, and the yep. pole. Yeah. Yeah. So yep. like, what are the options available? And then that can start to get down to like, what were the gaps that you found when, when looking at what's out there today?
0: Yeah, for sure. So when we were doing our research, the, Obvious things that existed were on campus security resources, whether that's campus police, you could call 911. There were some apps out there uh, like Life360, which allowed you to perpetually share your location with your family uh, as well. But that was sort of the limits as to what we were seeing on the technological side. On the physical side, you know, people who have or wanted to elevate their safety i have always been using things like holding their keys in their hand or occasionally having a bottle of pepper spray or having a rate whistle on their uh in their body or uh within reach at all times and so that was sort of the world that we were working within and so the limitations of that are the first thing is let's say you're just simply trying to get home a lot of times especially for the, the rates that we see when it comes to various uh, rates of incidents or assaults, and it occurs to primarily younger students, whether they're in first year, or to female students or students who are new to an area. And so those are three categories that we found that, based on just data that were provided by universities and from the government, where the rates of incident were the highest. And the reason for that is they don't know which areas to avoid, some areas are inherently more, more unsafe. And so that was something that we thought was a big gap in the market. The second thing is the speed at which you actually are able to get help. The first thing is, for example, call 911, if you're unfamiliar with an area or if you're simply stressed, you don't know what to do. Most people, especially if you're in university or college, it might be your first time calling 911. Yeah. You don't know which intersection you're at. If you're at a house party, you have no clue what your address is. A lot of times you might be intoxicated or you just might be in a daze because quite frankly, it's a scary situation um, no matter how many times you've been through it. And so for us, we wanted to simplify the process of getting help as well as increasing the likelihood that you don't need help in the first place uh, by providing safer um, access to resources and routes. And so that was sort of the gap that we saw and out of that came two solutions. The first was to sort of address how do you get home safely? And so like the with
1: proactiveness that, of it, the proactiveness
0: for sure. Yeah. And so one of the things that we built was called Secrets Route. And so, for example, um, if you're familiar with Waze, where you use the Waze app and it helps you navigate around traffic jams and speed lights and cameras. Essentially, we do the same thing with crowdsourced data, and we reroute students on their way home away from street corners where other people and users have felt unsafe, where there's been a higher likelihood of reported incidents provided by public police data, by t- looking at foot traffic data, by looking at how well-lit a street is and how frequented it is. We provide a algorithmic way to allow you to get home safely by navigating Uh, around certain unsafe areas. And so, for example, we say you can use Google Maps if you want to find the fastest way to walk home, but you can use Sabin to find the safest way to walk home. And then on the uh, the reactive side, when it actually comes to an emergency, we have uh, and we've worked with safety experts, sexual assault experts from day one to build a really simple four-level emergency tier mode. And so when you start emergency mode, instantly your friends and your families are alerted of your location. If you downloaded the Haven app via your university, your campus uh, police and security organization also sees where you are, who you are, and whether or not you need help. From there, we uh, allow you to escalate the level of emergency, whether that's by calling friends and family members inside the app, starting a siren to attract the attention of bystanders, or when you're calling 911, we geotag where you are, and we allow you to provide the exact address of where you are to emergency operators and in some schools that we work with we can actually allow you to provide exactly which room you're in via wi-fi routers to wow. emergency operators and campus security um agencies as well and so that's truly a big difference for example if you're a first year student in a large university building you might not know where the heck you are yeah like you're just yeah
1: incredible yeah i didn't even think about that because you're like at an address has like such a broad
0: spectrum in that regard right yeah, and so we essentially simplify all of that for you. And so when you call 911 with the Haven app, we provide you a script to read off of. Oh, wow. And it says essentially, hi, my name is blah. I need fire, police, or medical. This is my address. This is where I am. Here's a number if my call disconnects. And then we have some subsequent questions that you could add on if, for example, you need immediate help or there's an immediate threat. Things to remind the user To really shoring the time it takes for emergency operators to go from picking up the call to sending the first um, sort of vehicle of help. And so- Yeah, because you
1: you remove some of the cognitive load of them like being flustered. For sure. Add access. And you know the questions that are going to be asked because they're probably very similar every time or identical, I imagine. And so you're getting ahead of that and being proactive. So it reduces the cognitive load during like a panic scenario an yeah. emergency scenario, which is really interesting.
0: We essentially streamline and hold their hand during an emergency. And, and that's the key thing, because if you are if you feel like you are in control of the situation, then that inherently reduces the amount of stress that you feel. But we really see it as a two-pronged solution, right? We need to do it well on the proactive side, provide safety and the safest way for you to get to where you want to be, and then in case things do escalate to the point where you need serious help we want to get you that help as quickly as possible i love it now obviously this is
1: for the end user i guess that wants to be more safe but is it also for their friends and family do they need to have their friends and family on haven for it to work um like who do you generally bring this to i know we were talking before about campuses so does the campus provide it for the student. Um, what's your target kind of demographic, I guess, of, of how and who needs to use or should be using the the Haven app?
0: Yeah. So right now, our target demographic is not actually the end user, but various organizations who have access to the end user, for, examples, uh, for example, universities or, or uh, governmental agencies. And so when we go to universities, we tell them, hey, look, Provide this to your students, make this a fun orientation event. You can add in a part about consent, you can add in a part about safety and drinking responsibly, but you can also provide them an actual tool for when they need help uh, in case of emergencies or other incidents. And so we go to universities with this pitch and then they provide to their students. And then students are able to add their roommate, their friend, or their family member, if they wish, to have an added level of security. But at the bare minimum, once they download the Haven app via their university, they are automatically connected to resources on campus, whether that's a sexual assault agency on campus or campus security or other um, services or legal clinics and anything else that the school already provides. And we sort of just aggregate all those resources for them. During uh, emergencies or other instances. Got
1: it. So it's in some ways, I guess, a B to B to C solution because Correct. although C is the end user of it, you need like someone to help kind of um, distribute it and add value to it along the way, as you were saying, right? Because there's a connectedness yeah. to that space or place or city or campus, any of those elements to For incrementally sure. add value and what Haven can provide
0: yeah and so initially we were b2c when we first launched um and as someone who has done zero marketing before that went extremely poorly <laughs> um and so we sort of thought okay what are the best ways to reach all university students at once what's a trusted source that's much more trusted than an instagram ad or a facebook ad or even a lot of times word of mouth from a fellow friend and that for the most part for a lot of students coming into their university journey is their university, is their residence, um, is their orientation, done, is there like, these are the people that they trust for their life now on campus. And so we go to them and allow them to really be the amplifiers of the Haven app for us.
1: Can you talk about that a bit? Like we glossed over it, but you, you kind of jokingly made funny, like, you know, as someone, no marketing experience, I thought it was this. When did you kind of realize like that's not that that that's not it? Was it like an advisor? Was it you tried it, what broke, what didn't work and how did you kind of pivot that direction to start going to the influencers of um and trusted kind of sources to help distribute your your application?
0: Yeah, for sure. So when we launched, initially it just wasn't sticky enough as a product, like quite frankly. If it was sticky enough even without that trusted advisor or you know, the university in the middle, it would have, if it had a product market fit when we launched, it would have grown on its own, quite frankly. And so it it just didn't have it. And so we needed a way to sort of supercharge our growth, get it into people's hands, have people build those networks inside the Haven app with their friends and their family and add each other and really get that value out of it. And then see if there's a way for us to constantly iterate on the product and the experience itself, where down the line, our goal is to eventually go to B2C because there's going to be people that we can't reach um, down the line in a few years' time uh, through an organization. And we can only reach them directly because, quite frankly, they aren't affiliated with an organization. And because of that, that's why they are the most unsafe out of all of the people that we're trying to help. And so... Yeah, initially, it was just realizing, you know, our retention numbers sucked, our uh, referral uh, rates sucked, and and uh, the user sort of experience just wasn't good enough at the very beginning. That sort of allowed me to sort of shift the focus. Um, but it also allowed us to shift the sort of business model as well, because for B2C, the actual end user themselves needs to feel like they want to pay for it. And most people don't think about their own safety to a point where they are willing to pay for it unless something has happened to them already. And so we had to find a way to also bring in revenue. And so going to the schools themselves to see an obvious use case for their own purposes and a way for them to, you know, provide more safety for the students. We also found that as a really conducive Revenue stream while we worked on our product to ensure that we could get it to a place where it is good enough for it to be a truly B2C um, way to grow.
1: So, was this like an obvious pivot? Like, you were talking about it like it, it naturally happened, but I imagine there was this moment of like, okay, maybe there's no product market fit here. Maybe what we thought from all of the surveys wasn't a big enough problem to solve how did you get taught like was there guidance did you just kind of work through this was this days was this weeks um because i think what's so interesting about it is you made a very successful and smart pivot that pivoted both your product design a little bit your distribution model and your customer and, and who's paying right but so many startups in that similar scenario just keep growing. No, 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 we need more marketing, more, right? So it was what was the moment of reflection and pivot in that decision-making process so that maybe others can learn
0: from it? For sure. It was when we had our first statement from Apple in terms of the revenue that we made from subscriptions. And I remember it was around $25. I think there were six or seven people who subscribed out of... We had 1,100 downloads in the first week and around 2,200 by the end of the month. And so a very infinitesimal number. And these, the initial downloads were from our friends, uh, like uh, from our friends, from friends of friends, from people who have heard through us organically and through, you know, relatively high levels of trust and knowing us in one way or another. And so even in such a circle like that, we had such a low conversion rate when it came to downloads and users to paid users. And so I just, I knew that for this to continue going, because I didn't want it to stop simply because we can't make money to keep the lights on, that would really defeat the purpose of why I started in the first place, which was to help people. And so I thought there had to be a way to just be able to bring in customers who are willing to pay, who are willing to actually send us an email. And to inquire about the product and say, how can we implement this here? And so that, that's not that, seeing that number of $25 made me pivot hit because it was just so small. And compared to the download rate, and I knew like even if we were to continue going, that percentage would become even smaller because now we're reaching into. The ether, you know, if we're going to reach people through Instagram ads and it costs two or three bucks per click, and we can't even bring that back, then that's not just that's not sustainable. Like quite, quite frankly, and for us as a bootstrap company to to realize that, so that we're able to continue to grow in a profitable and sustainable manner, I, you, I just had to pull the trigger and say, okay, I know that universities. We'll always want to have this, but we need to build a few more features. We can't just have an app. We need to have an admin portal. We need a way for them to invite their students. We need a way for them to send push notifications. We need a way for them to update their resources on their own time. We need a way for them to see a location of where incidents are occurring and a pipeline of where when an incident occurs, that alerts the various members of the university and their team that need to be alerted. And so that came with another redevelopment of part of the product. But it was really crucial initially to just realize, you know, B to C as of now, as a team of two engineers, it's not. We don't have the capability to iterate quickly enough, fast enough in a way to keep up and to keep the lights on at the same time.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. It's almost like um, my uh, my friend Varun, who leads Access to Success, focuses on accessibility startups. And there's a lot of similarities between what you're saying, which is like part of their incubator specifically focuses on scenarios that drive value for the end user, but the end user should not be burdened with the cost. And yeah. so you have to find um, the people who need to pay to help support the end users because it's almost not logical not to do it because it's. Yeah. It, It adds value in your promise to that end customer, right? And so to your point, like universities, a university's promise to its end customer is that they should have the ability to come here and learn. Part of that being Mm -hmm. safety. So they invest in security and police and mental health resources. And uh, like they invest in those things. So just logically, the same way you would hire a few more security guards, you would help provide this as a, a... piece of service to your customers um as a value add so it's such a smart pivot i, I love the and obviously you could build it so that helps um, but but it's cool to like see that evolution and then you caught it early enough you caught it so fast right and, okay. and made that uh, and made that pivot so let's talk about maybe that that portion like how do you make money it sounds like the schools pay but like how does that work? Is it infinite users? What What are the customers? So we've talked about universities a lot. Maybe that's your customers today, but who are all the possible customers of, of Haven in, in this new kind of pivot?
0: Yeah. And so right now we focus a lot on educational institutions just because they have it within their budgets to provide the services that we provide them. And down the line where we're already working with various governmental agencies, where it's also part of their mandates. But the next step is definitely with workplaces and businesses. They have a, you know, a responsibility to ensure that their employees, especially if they have night shifts or, you know, you're walking home in Canada at 5 p.m. in winter, it's already dark. And to, to, to provide that level of safety for their employees and to be able to access know, HR resources, if they need to file a sexual assault complaint, to be able to do that in a secure manner and in a way where, you know, the actual employee is not being retaliated against at times, as well as being able for employees to reach out for help when they need it. And so that's the next model, uh, mode that we're, we're going to really uh, look at and, and go into, which is with businesses be able to connect if, especially if you're working in an office to be connected to office security, if you're working late at night and you're the only only one in the office to be able to connect with various resources so that you're able to work remotely um, or alone and be safe in that matter. And so that's the next step of where we're expanding when it comes to businesses. And then simultaneously, as our safest route feature, which is the crowdsource way of finding where things are unsafe in a city, um to picks up and we are getting more and more data points, then we're also going to truly focus on B2C because at that point, when you open the app, you're able to get instant value out of it without even needing to add a single friend or family member or even have an emergency whatsoever. In the similar way that you open Waze or Google Maps and you're able to get instant value. Once we have enough data points to provide that to a completely fresh user, then we're we're going to really embark again on pushing the B2C drive because that's the way we get from helping students at universities and colleges and at some workplaces to being able to truly help anyone out there who just wants to be much safer in their day-to-day life. I love it. Um,
1: so in, in that uh, in that regard, today um, it's a university you're looking to expand into workplaces. Sounds like you're integrating into a bunch of things. Where, where are you at in this journey? Like how big's the team? How many places is this available today? Um, talk to us about where you're at. And it sounds like you've got some amazing roadmap and, and goals to go kind of tackle over the, I mean, we're just on the cusp. I think this, by the time this gets released, we'll be crashing into 2024. So let's talk about your light up 2024 year, but
0: also where you are now. Yeah, so right now we're at four universities in Canada. And so we serve a a total of 120,000 students um, across all of Canada. We also work with various um, agencies and organizations. For example, in February, we're um, partnering with the Toronto District School Board. They have a youth symposium where they provide um, they're gonna provide our app and provide teaching courses and ways for i believe the number that they said for the closing was around twenty five thousand students, and so we're slowly building our way across the country with all the organizations that we're working with to ensure that the ultimate end user is able to stay safe currently, a team um it's myself and two interns, and they are absolutely just incredible people and such hard workers, and they they love learning and so I, I just absolutely adore the work that they do, and think they will, um, you know, in their own time, become incredible entrepreneurs. Because both of them, they reached out to us on their own, and and, and said we wanted to, we we love the mission. We wanted to see how we could help, and so that, that's where the team is right now. Uh, and in 2024, our goal is to just keep chugging along. I think this um, Christmas and this holiday season going to really rethink just all parts of the business and ensure that we have a well-oiled machine from the sales to the finance side to the operations, ensure that everything is flowing well together because we have customers. We have pre-reputable customers as well. Um, And trying to build from there, having a really solid sales pitch and refining our sales pitch and continuing to make that better to ensuring that on the business side, we're able to maximize as much as we can um, and to pr- you know we're providing a lot of value. And so if we're able to recoup some of the value and revenue to maximize that as much as we can. And then operationally, how do we grow the technology, but also the team from here to ensure that we're in a much stronger place um, by the end of 2024? So <clears throat> on that note, like if, if people are
1: listening in and um, you could ask for any help, to expedite your mission who would it be from and, and what would what are like the one or two things that would be most helpful to Haven right now other than like maybe a few more hours in the day for your passionate team of 3 to bang everything out and get it into the into the public but what what kind of help or support do you need right now
0: yeah if there's any help from people who have connections to an organization who ultimately cares and has feels a sense of responsibility for their users, their students, or people that they care for. Put us in touch with them. Um, My email is nelson at humansafe.co. If you're able to just simply connect us, that would be absolutely um, a game changer for us. Our goal is to always be able to provide our product to more and more organizations like that. Uh, And any help in any warm intros makes a big, big difference uh, in our endeavor. I think a lot of our The the ways that we've been acquiring business thus far has been through those warm introductions and um, any more of those would always be more than welcome.
1: Got it. Warm intros. So it sounds like municipalities, um, businesses, anyone that has end customers that they serve who they want to make sure are safe. Um, I, I love it. You've got. We've gone through a few of them, I think um but but it sounds like you've got so much rich knowledge and like all of this advice across a couple pivots and, and across how to go build the way to ask the questions, but um, you know, is there something that you feel that you've learned through the experiences you've had so far in building and bringing haven to market that you think other people that are either um I don't mean to say this in a rude way, but like accidental entrepreneurs were like, you're a builder, but you, you know, didn't know what <laughs> challenge yet, or maybe you're someone that knows you want to solve something and you just need to kind of break through <laughs> and start it. Like what, what kind of advice would you share with someone who maybe doesn't even know they're going to be an entrepreneur yet or someone who is dead set on being an entrepreneur, but just doesn't know where to start? Yeah. Um, I think the
0: biggest advice um, for an entrepreneur is definitely where do you see yourself ending up? Are you trying to build a social enterprise? Are you trying to build a billion-dollar business? Are you trying to build a lifestyle business that allows you to live comfortably with your family but is not super backbreaking and and uh, just <laughs> crazy in that other regards, uh, as you would if you were to try to build a multi-billion-dollar, trillion-dollar business? I think that's the key thing for a lot of entrepreneurs to figure out from day one is where do you see yourself ending up? Because if you don't know where you're ending up, it's going to be hard to find an idea that fits that. And if you do find an idea that fits that and it doesn't fit to the idea, doesn't fit to where you want to end up, then there's going to be a discourse between what you want to do and what you are actually doing. And so I think that's the first piece of advice that we give entrepreneurs um, is just figure out where you want to end up because that allows you to have an idea and then sort of it removes a lot of the uh, it gives you an idea and sense of okay if I have a vision for a company if I wanted to make a billion dollar company what are some basic things that need to happen for example you need 100 million in revenue you need lots of users and then from there you're able to refine and sort of call down what actually makes sense for where you want to end up. I think that's the first piece of advice I would give to entrepreneurs. The second is I have throughout the years developed a four-tier business tier list. And the first, I'll sort of go through the tiers from the top to the bottom. And I think Haven is at sort of the bottom when it comes to just pure business ideas. The first is companies that help other companies make more money. I think that's the easiest to sell. If you could promise to someone, pay me a dollar, I'll help you make $2, easy. The other, the second tier is businesses that help other businesses or people save money. Pay me a dollar, I'll save you $2. The third is things that help people sort of improve their life, their quality of life improvements, like Uber, um, You know, Airbnb as a user, you're able to go and have a nice vacation, you're able to save time and all of that. And then the tier that I would even in a lot of other businesses that are these are nice to have things. for a lot of people they don't really see them as a necessity. It's hard to convince the broad public that this is something that they are they should pay for and they have to pay for. And so, I I think that's the other piece of advice is trying to if you're trying to do a business understand where your business fits in and how you're able to optimize the model as well as what you're building and the customers that you're targeting as well as where you end up, where where you see the business ending up to ensure that it fits in within sort of that tier list of ultimate ideas. I, I love it. It's funny. The first one you said <clears throat>
1: mirrors a little bit of, A, something I've talked about a few times, something that the recording I was doing just previous to this shared, which is like the, you need to know and have clarity and conviction around what you're building. And there's no right answer, wrong answer. Like anyone that's outside of that, outside of you, don't let them influence it. He called it money or power. I think it's impact or money. Mm -hmm. And is it, are you building a business for money that can still have an impact? Or are you more focused on the impact regardless of money? And I think that's the way to frame it, right? Where it's like, you want this impact to happen, even if you were dirt broke at the end, made no money, but you had that thing change. Or, hey, you really want to make money and you believe you can have an impact. And it's funny because I think everyone always starts with the, Oh, I'm trying to have an impact. Be like, OK, great. So if you solved this and mm-hmm. you made zero dollars ever and you committed the rest of your life to it, are you OK with that? Well, OK, that right. And so I think that yeah. there's a. There's an importance there where it's like, or maybe not zero dollars, but enough just to live. Like you can live, but you're not, you know, no altruistic motives at that point. So I think that delineation is really important is which one's priority first, because it's impact or money. And everyone always tries to like shy away from the fact that they want to make money. But like, it's real. Like don't shy away from that. If that is a core goal of what you're trying to do and you're like, I want to do this as an entrepreneur. The second one, I, I love that framework where you're like, and it's so true. The easiest thing to do is sell things that help people make more money because it's dollars in dollars out. It It's it kind of like yeah. it's a flywheel. It's measurable.
0: Too. It's easy. It's, it's a much easier process. It's Yeah. Not,
1: and then the save, yeah. the save ones, to your point, it's second hardest. Like, hey, here's a dollar and I could theoretically or immediately save. Um, savings are, are also very valuable. And then the other pieces, which are like convenience, which is harder to measure, because it's like a tangible, it's not as tangible. It's more qualitative than quantitative most times. And then the last yeah. piece is this thing that drives impact and value, but is not a necessity or at least until it's needed it yeah. isn't a necessity. And I think that's the thing you're touching on, which is apparent, which is so apparent. Like you, you had tremendous value, but yeah. people don't know they necessarily need it until they need it. So, how you bring a third party into that mix is so valuable in terms of what you're creating. So um, I love the framework. Sure. I'm going to use it if you're okay with that more and more of often. I might start categorizing every business we talk to moving forward to, to figure <laughs> out where, where they fit on that. Where piece. they fit uh, in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, th- thank you for joining uh, me today, Nelson. I, I learned a ton. You're, what you're doing is amazing. And if I can help in any way, I, I would love to. Um, as-, as we wrap up, if people want to find out more, where should they go? Uh, We'll put it in the show notes and stuff too, but I just want to make sure we direct people in the right direction.
0: Sure. They could just head on to our website, havensafe.co, and you're able to find our contact if you want to reach out to us, book a demo, or simply just learn more about what we do.
1: Amazing. Thanks again for joining us tonight. Thank you to everybody who listened. If you haven't yet, make sure to go check them out. If you can download it directly, otherwise make sure to at least advocate for HavenSafe too your university or your employer it's definitely a way to help them reach out to to open up and and broaden their their impact on on this immediate priority um thanks again nelson you and the team of three go crush it out there I'm, i'm rooting for you guys and and looking forward to everything and and thanks again to everyone who listened in tonight have a great night
0: You've been listening to the Pitch, Please podcast. Pitch, please. Pitch, please. (laughs) Hosted by Mike Thibodeau. Tune in for regular episodes and show notes at pitchplease.ca. And make sure to give us a follow on your favorite podcast platform. Pitch Please, a Bloomex podcast, is hosted by Michael Thibodeau and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. For more Pitch Please content subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit BloomX.io to join us on Discord.